Give your neighbor a air high five or whatever you feel comfortable doing. Uh, anyway, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, it's just a good day to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen. My name is Travis. I'm one of the pastors here. And our senior pastor, Pastor John, he's been in Mississippi all week with his family. He's been farming on a tractor. And so he'll be back next weekend and uh, he'll have a word for us. Miss Linnell, as Pastor Cole said, uh, her and that team, along with my wife, they're heading back right now from D.C. And uh, listen, I, I've got a lot of pictures that Whitney sent me yesterday. A lot of reports where there was over 100,000 Christians praying at the Capitol just just asking God to, to forgive them, to return, and do amazing things in our land. So I think that is amazing, right? So uh, for me, Whitney could not get home fast enough. Uh, I woke up this, one, this, this morning in a panic because I realized I had to do my five-year-old's hair. And uh, I was like, oh, man, how, what are we going to do? And so I had this great idea. I was like, maybe we should start a small group uh, on the weekends for, like, dads, your wife or whatever's went out of town, and you need uh, help. And so if we could get some people to sign up for that, uh, see Pastor Cole. He's going to lead that ministry. And... Uh, I think that would be good. But listen, I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad to be here. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter number 1. We're going to look at verse 13, and we're going to start here, and uh, we're going to talk about some things today. This is going to set up the message. Uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 13, it says, But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And he will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, say Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people that are prepared. Listen, obviously this is referring to John the Baptist. The angel Gabriel tells Zechariah that his son is going to prepare the way for Jesus, for the Lord. How cool is that? Listen, he tells him something super interesting though in that context. He says that he will go before him Jesus in the spirit and the power of Elijah. You know, and I've read these scriptures so many times and, and others that have to deal with Elijah and the spirit of Elijah. But several months ago, I got to thinking, what is the spirit of Elijah? You know, why not the spirit of Moses? Why not the spirit of David? Why not the spirit of Daniel? Why not the spirit of Samuel? There's a lot of great godly men and women of the Bible. And how come the Bible uses the spirit of Elijah? And so as I'm reading about uh, in Luke, I'm, I'm kind of looking at some translations. I'm looking at some commentary. And I see a cross-reference to Malachi chapter 4, the last book in the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 4 verse 5 says this, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with the decree of utter destruction. So follow me here for a moment. So the last thing that's talked about in the Old Testament is about Elijah. And then the first thing that's mentioned in the book of Luke in the New Testament is this spirit of Elijah. 
So before the Lord comes back, he's going to send Elijah. He's going to send the spirit of Elijah at this time. And the hearts of the fathers are going to turn towards the children. And the hearts of the children are going to turn back towards the fathers. And listen, over the last several months, I've been completely consumed by this character in the Bible named Elijah and this spirit of Elijah. Because listen, before Jesus comes back, the spirit of Elijah is going to come. Listen, how many people know there's crazy things that are happening in our nation? People are talking about war. People are talking about civil war. I don't know when Jesus is coming back, but I know it's sooner than it was yesterday, right? And so I know the stories about Elijah. I know his great, uh, you know, defeat of the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. I know that Elijah was this great prophet of God. I know he was bold. I know that something about the spirit of Elijah has to turn the fathers back to the children. But really, what is this spirit of Elijah? And so for the last several months, I, as I was praying about this, I felt like the Lord said, go study the life of the prophet Elijah. And so over the last several weeks, that's what I've done. You know, uh, I believe if we know more about this man, more about this prophet, more about this guy named Elijah and how God used him, God will show us what this spirit of Elijah is. So today what I want to do is take the next few minutes and I want to look at several highlights uh, about the man uh, named Elijah. And as we look through his life, I think God's going to show us some characteristics of his life that we can apply to our life right now. And I think this is going to show us what this spirit of Elijah is. The fact of the matter, I believe as we look at this, I believe God's going to show us some fresh things in our life. I believe he's going to show us some things that maybe we need to start doing or maybe we need to stop doing or things that we need to incorporate into our life. Listen, I don't know about you, but I want the return of Jesus. I want Jesus to come back. He's going to come back whether you want him to or not. But listen, I want to make sure that my heart is prepared. I want to make sure that I'm using uh, the impact that God has given me and given this church to help reach people uh, before Jesus comes back. So what is the spirit of Elijah? Uh, this morning, we're going to look at four characteristics of the man Elijah, and we're going to see what God is, I believe, trying to say to us today. And the reason I'm talking about this this morning is we know crazy things are happening in our nation and also around the world. We have racism that's reared its ugly head. We have a huge election coming up. We have a Supreme Court justice seat uh, that has to be filled. We have uh, the coronavirus. We have people out of work. And how many people know it's so easy to get caught up in all the stuff that's going on around us? It's easy to get caught up in Republicans versus Democrats, white versus black, maskers versus anti-maskers. But we cannot look past the fact of before all these things, we are called to be Christians. We are called to follow Christ. We're called to be the beacon of hope and light in a dark world that shows Jesus. So before we're the citizens of the United States, before you're white or black, before you're Republican or Democrat, you're a follower of Christ. And I'm telling you what the world needs today is some followers of Christ to step up, live for Jesus, and let people know around us who he is. Listen, the reason our church has been in the last 10 days of, of this return, this time of prayer and fasting, the reason 100,000 people showed up in Washington, D.C., the reason millions of Christians are praying over our nation is because, you know what, our nation is in need, and I believe the solution is you and I living for Jesus like never, never before. Listen, what we're fighting against right now are spirits. We're fighting against sin. We're fighting for hurting people. We're fighting uh, for babies that are in the womb. We're fighting to hold the line of Christianity in our culture. 
And right now, it's so important that we stay awake, that we stay close to God, that we fight the enemy when he comes to try to, try to kill and steal from us and our family and from our nation. Listen, we're on the wall right now. Listen, we have been drafted. If we're alive right now in 2020 with all the mess that's going on, God wants to use you and I. So that means we better dig our foot in and get ready to be used by God. Amen? Amen. This is a season to operate in the spirit of Elijah. I don't know about you, but I want God to move. I want God to use me. Amen? So here in just a moment, we're going to look at four characteristics of Elijah. Before we jump in, let's pray. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you that you're faithful. I pray, Lord, that you would use us. God, we thank you that this is a time that you're calling your church to return to you. You're calling us to be used by you. And Lord, we want to follow you. God, I pray that there would be a voice within my voice that you would speak to us. God, we would hear you and you would do mighty things on the earth. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Listen, before we jump in and we start looking at Elijah, I want you to see what's happening in the nation of Israel when this prophet comes on the scene. 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 29, I'm going to read several verses and kind of I'm going to follow a flow this morning of looking at 1 Kings 16 and a little of 17, just following some major highlights of Elijah's life. But verse 29 of 1 Kings 16 says, In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, the son of Omri, began to reign over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel and in Samaria for 22 years. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord, more than all who were before him, as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam. Uh, he took for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethabel, the king of the Sidonians. And he went and he served Baal and he worshipped him. He erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which is built in Samaria, and Ahab made an Asherah. Ahab did more to, to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. Listen, this is going on in the nation of Israel when Elijah is about to step on the scene. Listen, the king of Israel at the time, his name was Ahab, and he was not a good king, okay? Not only is he not a good king, the Bible says he was the worst king. Listen, that's a bad accolade to have about you, right? He was not only a bad teacher, he was the worst teacher. He wasn't just a bad plumber, he was the worst plumber. This is what we hear about uh, Ahab. He is the worst king. Not only is he a bad king, he marries a terrible queen that's worse than him. Listen, not only are these people bad, but the nation basically has turned against God. Ahab and his wife, they've pushed the worship of God away. They've basically established a state religion of Baal worship. The temples of God are now the temples of Baal. And a lot of the people, their hearts have turned away from God and they're following Baal. Listen, I don't know about you, but it kind of sounds like what's going on in our nation right now. There's a lot of people that are turning away from following God and they're turning to worship idols. And now I don't know of any temples of Baal around, but we worship celebrities. Come on. We worship athletes. Come on. We worship our shows. We worship our convenience. We worship ourselves to some degree. So what's going on in Israel and the culture that they're living in is really, really bad. Really? And so with bad things going on, do you think it's caught God off guard? Not at all. Isaiah 59, 19 says, When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall raise up a standard. God's solution for the problem that was going on in the nation of Israel during this time was a man, and his name was Elijah. Listen, throughout the Bible, when the nation of Israel was in a bad situation, God would raise up men and women. 
God would raise up a Moses. God would raise up a Daniel. God would raise up a Deborah. God would raise up an Apostle Paul. Listen, God's solution to what's happening in our nation right now is you and it's me. You know that, right? The solution to what's happening in our nation isn't just a, a, a Republican president or a Democratic president, or it's not just a Supreme Court seat. And listen, I am praying for a Christian, conservative, constitutionalist, Supreme Court justice, but the answer to America's problem is that God would allow the church to be great again, that we would repent of our sins, we would return to God, and God would use us as a beacon of hope and light in a dark culture. Listen, the solution in our day and age is Jesus in us. Because Jesus in us is the hope of glory. Can I get an amen? amen? So anyway, that's what's going on in the nation of Israel when this man Elijah shows up on the scene. 1 Kings chapter 17 uh, begins to talk about Elijah. We don't know any background about Elijah. All we know is that Elijah is a prophet. We don't know uh, what he, where he grew up. We don't know uh, where his girlfriend was in fifth grade. We don't know what his favorite food was. We know he shows up on the scene. Verse, uh, 1 Kings verse seven, or chapter 17 verse 1. It says, Now Elijah the Tishabite said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain for these years except by my word. So listen, uh, uh, he comes on the scene, Elijah, and he tells this wicked king, listen, God's saying it's not going to rain in the nation of Israel. Okay, so pretty bold guy. Look what it says after this in verse 2 of chapter 17. It says, And the word of the Lord came to him, talking about Elijah, Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook of Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook that I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and he did according to the word of the Lord. He went and he lived by the brook Cherith that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. How many people think that would be kind of cool? Like you don't have to worry about the Walmart run, you know, like just have the ravens bring the food. I think that's pretty cool. So listen to me. Right after God calls Elijah to go tell this wicked king of Israel, it's not going to rain. God then tells Elijah, you need to flee from there. And he brings him to a brook. And this leads me to point number one. If we want to operate in the spirit of Elijah, we have to meet with God in the secret place. Look at your neighbor. So we got to meet with God. Listen, Elijah is alone. We find out in a minute he is running for his life. The prophets of Elijah, his, or the prophets of Ahab, his men are going to look for Elijah. They're killing the prophets of God by the thousands, okay? And so God brings Elijah to this secluded place. Listen, I, I can believe that Elijah is probably a little scared. He's probably what's, wondering what's going on. But I believe that God brings him to this place of isolation because Elijah needed to know who God really was. Elijah needed to know the voice of God. Elijah needed to have faith. God wanted Elijah to depend on him. So why would he bring him to this place? Because God knew for the next three years of Elijah's life, he was going to be running for his life. That he was going to face some great spiritual attacks. And God wanted Elijah to know that you have to trust me. You have to lean on me. You have to hear my voice. How many people know in this day and age, in this season that we're living in, his church needs to hear his voice? 
Listen, there's a lot of voices that are going on all around us. We need to make sure the voice that we're hearing the loudest is the voice of God. And we're only going to hear the voice of God loud in our heart and in our ear when we spend time with God in the secret place. God also knew that Elijah, that in about three years, this simple prophet was going to challenge the prophets of Baal, and he better know who his God is. Listen, I think what's going on in our nation today, I believe that God is trying to draw the church into him like never before. Listen, you're probably like me. We don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. We know there's some weird things happening. I think God is trying to gather his church. I think God is trying to awaken us. I think God is trying to get us to pray. I think God is trying to get us to see what's happening. I think God is trying to get us to trust his voice more so than we even trust Fox News or CNN. Come on. More so than we trust the celebrity or the athlete that seems like they have this big platform. God wants us to trust his voice more than anything else. And we will not trust God's voice unless we spend time with God. Unless we know God. Amen? I want you to think about this. Maybe uh, you're in here and you're married and you've been married for a while. How much did you trust your, your spouse now after your first date? Probably not much, right? Ladies, you were hoping his, his check didn't bounce when he bought your meal, right? Or the credit card didn't decline. But once you had relationship, once that you had established this relationship, you had faith in that spouse, it's the same thing for God. Listen, when we don't spend time with God, we don't have much faith in God. But when we do spend time with God, we trust God, we have faith, and we're going to allow God to direct our life. Listen, we have to be found faithful in the quiet place. Let me tell you, meeting with God in the secret place is tough. Sometimes it's easy to come to church unless you have little bitty kids. Can I get amen? It's kind of tough, dude. But listen, it's sometimes easy to come listen to Pastor John preach, but it's harder to tune out all the distractions in our life, to put our phone aside, to turn off the phone when our kids are in bed, and focus in on God. Listen, I believe one of the main reasons maybe our country is in the state that it is right now is maybe because Christians haven't been going to the quiet place enough to get close to God. If we want the spirit of Elijah to come, we need to know him. We need to spend time with him. Psalms 27.8 says this, seek my face. And then the psalmist says, your face I'm going to seek. Listen, real talk. Do we spend more time complaining about the Democrats or complaining about the Republicans or complaining about the state of our country or our boss more so than we do seeking God in the quiet place? Listen, this is something that's just really, you know, God has, has challenged me on. It's easy to see what's going on, but God wants us to pray more than we complain. Amen? Man, there's billion-dollar industries that are based off men and women every day just complaining about the world. God wants some Christians to seek his face, to know him, and go to the place of prayer. Amen? Amen. So I want to challenge you. First of all, individually, man, have a good, quiet time with the Lord every single day. Spend time with him every single day. And as a family, I want to challenge you. Get alone with God as a family. Even if it's just a moment or two before school or before bedtime, connect with God. Because in the days that we're coming into, we need to know God, right? Let's move on. So as we kind of follow down uh, chapter 16 and 17, we see uh, after the ravens feed him, Elijah comes uh, to this woman's house. It's the, 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 the woman of Zarephath, and, and she has a son. And remember, there's a great miracle that Elijah does. Um, he asks her for some food, and she says, we were about to make our last dinner and die. And Elijah prophesies that that flour that's almost out and that oil that's almost out, it's not going to run out until the drought is over. 
And we know the drought lasted three years. So kind of the same context. Look at chapter 17 of verse 17. It says, after this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, this is talking about the widow, became ill. Her son became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And he said to her, give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged or where he lived and laid him on his own bed. And he cried out to the Lord, O Lord, my God, have you brought calamity upon this widow with whom I've been living and by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried out to the Lord, O Lord, my God, let this child's life come back into him. And the Lord listened to his voice, the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again, and he, and, he, and he was revived. Listen, I don't know about you, but man, Elijah, he's a man of great faith. He's a man of great boldness. But what I want us to see here is this, and this is the second point, for the spirit of Elijah to come, we as Christians in this day and age, we have to operate in compassion. We have to have compassion. What compassion did Elijah have for this woman and for her child? And I'm telling you, in the day and age that we are living in, it's time that the church has compassion for people. For too long, the church, we, we've said that we've loved people and, and, and we hope you're doing well. And, and I believe that we really do love people, but we need to let our actions speak really loud in this moment. Do we have compassion for people, for, for hurting people, for people that don't look like us, for people that have a different political affiliation than we do? Listen, we are called to show compassion. That was what Jesus did with his whole life. Jesus showed compassion. Jesus showed mercy. And how many people know what a hurting world needs is some Christians to show compassion, Christians to get out there and love people. Christians to get out there and let the love of Christ that's inside of us show a world that is hurting what it looks like. Listen, I don't know if you've been looking around. There's a lot of hatred going on right now in the United States of America. There's a lot of bad stuff, and, and the government's doing all the government can do. But let me tell you what's the opposite of, of social justice is Christian compassion. When we have compassion for people, listen, that is true, and that's raw, and that comes straight from the Savior. Listen, thank God for programs and things that they do, but nothing compares to the love of Christ that Christians should be showing every single day. It's our opportunity in this hour as things are dark to be love and to be light and to show mercy and to show grace to people. Listen, the Bible says that they will know us by our what? By our love, by our fruit. Listen, Jesus' mantra was this, go to them. Nowhere in scripture have I found where Jesus pitches a tent and says, y'all come see me. No, man, Jesus is out there and he goes to them. Wherever Jesus was going, man, whenever some opportunity came, he saw someone in need, man, he took the time out of his day to show compassion and to show love. You know, I think about Jesus and the man with leprosy that comes to Jesus, a man obviously who had had a tough life, and Jesus grabs that man's hand full of leprosy, and he heals him. He shows compassion. Think about Jesus and the woman that was caught in adultery. Jesus has compassion upon her. He tells her to go sin no more, but he has compassion. Listen, just because there's some bad things that are going on in our culture today, Christians, we're called to speak truth, but we're called to speak truth in what? Love. Truth and hatred is not what God wants. Truth and love with compassion. Listen, being in the kingdom of God, being great in the kingdom of God is not being rich. It's not having a microphone. It's showing compassion and getting low. Jesus calls us to get low. And it's time we love people 
outside of these walls. You know, yesterday uh, was a long day. We had, uh, we had several soccer games. If you didn't know, uh, not only do I preach a few times a year, but I am a world-class soccer coach. World-class. You know, uh, you know, I mean, my, my, my scorecard as a coach uh, overall in the last few years is probably a losing record, but, you know, I'm really good. Anyway, we had four games yesterday. My five-year-old played at 10.30 and, and, and 1.30. Gabe played at 12 and 4.30. And it was just like a crazy day. Uh, I saw several church members that were here. I talked to uh, one family. They had six soccer games yesterday. I talked to another family that had seven. And he was kind of complaining. I was like, dude, you had all these kids, man. Not me, you know. It's your fault. But anyways, I was, I was studying in between a game, and I was reminded uh, of, of a few things. Number one, I was reminded of a book I read several years ago about a man named George Mueller. Listen, if you, if you never looked up this guy, he lived an amazing life. He was an evangelist in England in the 1800s. Listen, before he was saved, he lived a really unrighteous life. Can anybody relate? Like seven of y'all, man. Okay, we're here. Listen, but he got saved, and listen what he did. He cared for over 10,000 orphans. He, he established more than five homes for orphans. That is compassion. I, I was thinking about the Good Samaritan. Remember the guys on the road? He gets beat up. His stuff gets stolen. That Good Samaritan goes to him and helps him. He shows compassion. This is the season for the church to show great compassion. I may not agree with you, but I can still love you and have compassion on you. Because at the end of the day, the most important thing is your soul. And so I want to show you love, even though I may not agree with you. Listen, can we agree in the next 37, 38 days before this election, even though we may not agree with even some of our friends on Facebook or at work, we can still love them with the love of Christ and still disagree. We can still pray for a great movement of God in our nation. And I challenge you, we better be praying for a great move of God in our nation. But listen, the great move of God in our nation, as much as, as we all want our specific candidate to win, the great move of God in our nation is going to be God granting the church great compassion to show a world that's hurting great love and pointing them towards Christ. Amen? Listen, now is the time that we make it personal. What can we do to show compassion? Listen, what can our families do? And, and I was just quickened by this this morning. We know the, I started with the, the spirit of Elijah has something to do with turning the hearts of the fathers towards the children. We have a fatherless generation right now. And it's time for Christian men and women to start really stepping up and filling a gap that's been left behind by wayward parents, maybe that aren't in the picture, and we start helping the next generation. Listen, I'm just like you. When I watch the news and I see these riots that are going on, listen, it's a bunch of young people, white people and black people, but there's a common denominator, I believe, and it's fatherless kids that don't have a father that are going out there and wrecking havoc because there's lies in this nation. It's time for fathers, Christian fathers and mothers, to step up to the plate. It's our time to do it. Listen, no Supreme Court justice and no next politician is going to fill the gap that the church has to fill. And that's father to the fatherless who's Jesus, and we point people to him. Amen? Let's keep going. Chapter 18, after many days, listen, this has been three years. After many days, the word of the Lord comes to Elijah in the third year saying, Go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Jump down to verse 17. It says, when Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, is it you the troubler of Israel? 
And Elijah answered, I'm not the troubler of Israel. You are the trouble of Israel. You and your father's house, because you've abandoned the commandments of the Lord, and you've followed the Baals. Now, therefore, send and gather all of Israel to me at Mount Carmel, and the 450 prophets of Baal, and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. This is probably my favorite part of the story about Elijah, and this is point number three. For the spirit of Elijah to come, we must confront and we must win. Look at your neighbor and say, we've got to confront and win. That was pretty good. Listen, if we want to operate in the spirit of Elijah, we've got to confront. Three years have went by, and all of Elijah's kind of the last three years has led to this point. He's facing the most wicked king and queen on the planet. For three years, he's been running for his life. For three years, the prophets of God have been slaughtered. Believers have been killed, and here is Elijah, and he is coming face to face with pure evil. But you know what? For three years, he's been spending time with God. For three years, he's been in the quiet place. For three years, he's been showing compassion. God has been growing him. He's been being, learning how to have more faith. He's learning how to trust God and hear the voice of God. Listen, I think it's important. It's the little things in our life that allow us to do great things for God. Listen, David, before he was a giant slayer, he was just taking some cheese to his brothers. When we spend time with God every day, the little disciplines put us in a position to do something awesome for God. So back to Elijah, we know this story. This is one of my most favorite stories in the whole Bible. It's 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 20. And I'm going to paraphrase this for time's sake. So uh, all the people of Israel and these prophets of Baal, they have come up on top of this mountain. And Elijah basically says this in verse 21. Listen, how long are you going to waver between two opinions? Listen, if the Lord is God, then we need to serve him. If Baal is God, then serve him. Quit being wishy-washy. We're going to figure this thing out. How many people know as time in America, Christians, we stop straddling the fence and we say, man, we're going to serve God with all our heart. And so this is what he's telling the nation of Israel. Man, we're going to figure this thing out today. And so he says, I got a challenge that we're going to do. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to get a bull. The prophets of Baal are going to get a bull. We're going to cut that bull up. We're going to put that bull on an altar. And the God who sends down fire, he is God. And the people of Israel said, that sounds good to us. Right? How many people know in our nation right now, we need a moment like this? It's becoming closer and closer where, man, the wheat and the tares are being separated. It's time for the church of Jesus to really be the church. So I love this story, how it plays out. The prophets of Baal, they get their bull, they cut their bull up, they place it on the altar, and they begin to cry out to their God. They begin to ask him to rain down fire from heaven. They start cutting themselves. They start pleading with this false God. I think it's interesting, one of the names of Baal in the Old Testament is Storm God. Isn't it funny how it hadn't stormed in three years? They're going to keep praying to the Storm God. Listen, so they're praying to this God, and I think Elijah just kind of, he just starts laughing, right? He kind of starts chirping at him. Hey, maybe he's asleep. Maybe he went out of town. You know, maybe, I don't know. I can just see him, you know. My son, my seven-year-old son, he's kind of a chirper right now. We've been working on this. We're playing t-ball this past summer, and, and Gabe, you know, he'll be on the pitcher's mound, and a kid misses the ball. I'll be like, How, why, didn't you didn't, why didn't you hit the ball? I'm like, dude, be quiet. You just missed the ball too. Anyway, nothing to do. So after all this stuff happens, Elijah says, you know what? It's my turn. This dude is confident in his God because he knows who his God is because he spent time with him. 
First Kings chapter 18, verse 30, we know what happens. He gathers the people even closer. He gets his bull, he cuts his bull up, he repairs the altar, he puts the bull on the altar, he gets water, and he pours water all over the altar, all around the altar like three times. What does Elijah do? He prays that God would send fire, and what does God do? Boom! Sends it. The bull is immediately burned up, the water around it is burned up. It's this amazing thing that happens, and look at what verse 39 says. It says, when all the people saw what had happened, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. Verse 40, Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape, and they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook and slaughtered them. Listen, what needs to happen in our nation with some of these strongholds is they need to be brought down. And God is a God that can do it. Listen, as I'm reading this story, I'm like, Elijah is a bad man. Not only is he bad, but the God that he served is amazing, right? How many people know anything that God does in us? Man, it's for his glory. It's for his glory. Listen, if we want to do something great for God in our day and age, we have to confront the enemy. We have to confront sin. We have to confront injustice. We have to confront the stuff that's in our own heart. For too long, Ahab and his wife, they've been wrecking havoc on the people of Israel. They've been manipulating them. They've been ushering in these false gods. And the followers of Yahweh have been killed by the thousands until someone said, enough is enough. And Elijah said it, and God used him. I'm telling you, it's time for people to start seeing the problem and start confronting the problem. Listen, the enemy is wrecking havoc in our nation right now. Think about the hatred Think about the lawlessness. Think about the racism. Think about sex trafficking. Listen, every time you get one of those amber alerts on your phone, somebody has just been stolen probably for sex trafficking. It's time as Christians that we wake up and realize there's an enemy that has a plan that's going to war, and it's time that we put on our gear and we start meeting him face to face. The people of Israel, they were confused. They were worshiping the Baals until a man full of the Spirit of God who was obedient to God said, enough is enough. What you're worshiping is fake. What would happen if all of us in here, we started confronting evil and we started with the evil in our own heart? It's easy to look outside and say, oh, that person's prideful, that politician's bad, but what about the pride in our hearts? What about the jealousy in our heart? What about the lust in our heart for a great awakening to happen in our nation? It doesn't start with the congressmen and the senators and the members of the House of the Representatives or even the president. It starts with us asking God to forgive us and repenting and turning away. We want God to move. We have to return to God. You know, we know what God says, and a lot of times, even though we know what he says, it's easier not to do it. People in our culture are confused, and what they need is to see some Christians not confused. Living holy, living by standards, raising our kids godly. They need to hear the voice of the church louder than all the other voices. God has called us in this hour to be so different than society. He's called us to seek him, to follow him, to flee evil, to fight temptation, to be givers. We are called to confront we're called to confront abortion. We're called to confront pornography. We're called to confront the entertainment industry. We're called to confront fatherlessness and, and homelessness and poverty and starvation. Listen, I don't think those are just things that the government should be taking care of. That's what the church should be taking care of. 
And I think for the last 50 or 75 years, the church has stepped back and there's become a vacuum. And when there's a vacuum, something will fill that vacuum. And what has filled the vacuum in the last 50 to 75 years is government control. And the problem with that is there's a lot of people in our government with power that are evil. The church has to rise. The church has to be the church. The church has to love Jesus and tell other people about Jesus. Come on. You may say, what can me and my family do? You can do a lot. We can do a lot. Listen, we can seek after God. We can confront the issues in our own heart. We can repent. We can ask God to to free us from lust and depression and jealousy. What can our family do? Our families, we can turn off ungodly TV shows. We can help the kid in our kid's class that doesn't have a dad or doesn't have food for lunch. We can give to Christian charity. We can give to this church. We can adopt. We can allow the Bible to dictate our lives once again. And listen, when we confront, God brings the victory. we got to start winning some victories, and Jesus wins the victories for us, but we have to confront what's in our own heart and our own culture. Listen, we have to start winning, and we, when we win in the secret place, I'm telling you, God moves. The solution that our nation needs isn't just Trump or Biden. It's you and I confronting issues. It's you and I living for Jesus. You know, and if the person that that you want to be the president in about 37 days gets elected to be the president, what are we going to do? Are we going to sit back and go, all right, we're done? Or are we going to say, we're going to be the church? I think one of the reasons that we're in the place that we are today is I think in 2016, I think the church kind of got lackadaisical again. It's time. It's more than just political candidates, though there's a very important election and you need to vote. Christians being Christians, Christians living for Jesus, Christians saying, yes, God, I'm going to be obedient. Amen? Amen. Another thought before I get to the last point and the band can come up. Where did Elijah kill the false prophets? In another brook. The place where you fight sin is in the quiet place. It's in the place where it's just you and Jesus. Let's keep following his life. So right after he has just killed these prophets of Baal, look at 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 19, or verse 1. It says, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and even more if I do not make your life as the life of one of those by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid. He rose and he ran for his life. Okay, up until this point, Elijah's the man. Come on. Calling down fire from heaven, killing these prophets, raising this boy from the dead. And all of a sudden, this woman, Jezebel, says, I'm going to kill you. And he gets scared, and he runs away. And I think there's several things that are in play. I personally think that Elijah was exhausted. Have you ever been exhausted? I was exhausted yesterday. I was like, man, all my great coaching just got me tired, you know? (laughs) Y'all, I'm a terrible coach. I know nothing about soccer. I just got to throw that out there before y'all are like, he is so prideful. I'm terrible. Anyway, I think he was exhausted spiritually. I think he was exhausted mentally. Um, I think he was depressed. This is a man of God depressed. So people can get depressed and still love Jesus. We need to clear that up. I think he's also being deceived. He thinks he's the only prophet left. God tells him, no, you're not the only guy left. I got 7,000 that haven't bent their knee. Listen, even great people of faith can get drained and go through a season where they have a lack of faith. But I want you to look what happens. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 8 says, He rose, he arose, this is Elijah. He ate and he drank and he went in in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights to Horab, the mountain of God. What is he doing? He's fasting. 
He's fasting. I think it's interesting that Mount Sinai and Mount Horeb, most theologians think it's, it's the same place. Last point, for the spirit of Elijah to come, we have to fast. See, Elijah was going up against something. It wasn't just this girl named Jezebel. He was going up against spirit, and that spirit's talked about several thousand years later in Revelation. This was a spirit of rebellion and witchcraft, a spirit of lust, and I believe it's prevalent in today's culture. It was a spirit that wanted to kill babies. It's still happening in our nation today. And even though Elijah was a great man, he was not prepared to fight against this spirit. So God leads him to a fast. Listen, what's a fast? A fast is a time where you don't eat and you focus on God. Where you are hungry, you focus in on Jesus. It's one of the spiritual disciplines. We see in scripture with Daniel, we see Daniel and his friends do a Daniel fast where they just eat fruits and vegetables. At the beginning of every year, normally in January, our church goes on a fast and some people fast sugar or they fast social media. A fast is a discipline to get us closer to God. Amen? I also find it interesting, I can only find three people uh, or two other people in the Bible who went on a 40 day and night fast. One was Moses before he got the Ten Commandments. The other was Jesus before he went into the wilderness to be tempted. Listen, Elijah ran into a wall. He was drained. But when he fasted, I mean, I think it brought breakthrough. Maybe you're in here today. Listen, you love God, but there's just been some problems, some issues, some things in your life. Maybe it's a sin lingering. Maybe it's a job issue, financial issue. Maybe it's relationally. I'm telling you, if you'll fast, I believe God will bring breakthrough. Listen, our nation has hit a wall. And I believe one of the solutions is to fast. I believe one of the solutions is to pray and to fast. Man, if you go back and look at kind of the nation of Israel, after Elijah fast, he has this great encounter with God. Remember, he goes in, into this cave and God brings him out. And there's this great earthquake. There's this great wind. There's this great fire. God's not in those, but God speaks to him in what? A still, small voice. I believe his relationship with God was renewed. God spoke to him. He said, Elijah, go anoint the next king of Syria. Go anoint the next king of Israel and go get Elisha ready. And so within a year or two, the nation basically was coming back to God. And Jezebel, if you read this story, it's an amazing story. She gets thrown off the roof. She's killed. The dogs lick up her dead, deadness. I don't know. And it's like the nation has a turnaround. I'm telling you, God is looking for Christians to step up. God will turn this, circle, this, this thing around if his church will pray, if his church will fast, right? For breakthrough to come in America, it's going to be from us seeking God and praying. And I think God is going to move. I want to encourage us over the next month. Like I said, we've got about 37 days until this election. What if we prayed and fasted for the next 37 days? What do we think would happen in our own spiritual life? What would happen in our family? What would happen in our nation? Listen, as I close, there's a, a great story that I've heard before and it's probably been shared in here, but this is from uh, D.L. Moody. It says, there was a man working as a watchman on a level inner crossing on a railway section. His responsibility was to wave a lamp to signal to warn the train when there was danger ahead and the train would stop and it would prevent the train from an accident. Well, one night there was a tremendous accident. The driver was killed. A lot of the passengers were killed. And the watchman was taken to a court of law. And the question that was asked him was this. On the night of the accident, did you wave the lamp? And the watchman said, yes, sir, I waved the lamp. And the man asked again, why didn't the train stop? 
Well, he said, you'd have to ask the engine driver. The guy said, well, the engine driver is dead. The judge asked the watchman again, did you wave the lamp? And he said, yes, sir. I want to ask you one more time. On the night of the fatality, you were on duty. Did you wave the lamp? The man said, yes. After the case was over and the watchman was walking away, one of his friends says to the watchman, I don't understand it. The judge asked you the same question three times, and each time he asked it, he seemed to be asking with a greater degree of intensity, and you were answering with a greater degree of weakness. Did you not wave the lamp? He said, yes, I did. Then why are you trembling? The answer is yes, yes, whether you're asked one time or a thousand times. And the man said, it is. But something was wrong that day. What was wrong? You see, the night that this fatality took place, this incident took place, I was busy doing something else. And suddenly I knew there was danger ahead and I thought I had enough time before the train came. Suddenly I heard the train coming and I didn't have enough time to put a light inside of the lamp. I grabbed the lamp and went and waved it in front of the engine driver, but there was no light and the engine driver didn't see it. And the man asked me if I waved the lamp and the answer is I waved the lamp. Listen, right now, Christians, it's time that we have light in our lamp. It's not a time that we're asleep. It's not a time that we're too occupied. We have to seek after God in this hour. We as a church have to return to Him. Listen, maybe, you know, you love God and you're serving God, but maybe you're not going full blast. Man, this is a season to go full blast. This is a season to to leave it on the field. This is a season to live for Jesus so people around us can see Him. The solution to the problem is Christ in us. This is a season to pray. This is a season to fast. This is a season to confront. And this is a season for great compassion. Do you agree? Man, I agree. Let's stand on our feet this morning. I want to pray for you. Listen, I want to pray that that spirit of Elijah would come inside of us, that something would be awakened and we would serve God with our whole heart right now. We would repent of our sins and we would ask God to move. Let's raise our hands. Lord, God, we thank you that you're a great God. Lord, we thank you that you've got a plan for this season that our country's in. Lord, I pray that right now that we would seek you. Lord, that we would be found faithful in the quiet place. Lord, that we would be people of compassion. Lord, we would be people of standards. We would be people that pray and fast. We would be people that confront issues in our own heart and in our society. And we pray that you would gain great victories. Lord, we ask right now that you would use us. God, that you would anoint us for this season that we're in. And God, we just want to say that we love you. God, that we need you. And Lord, we want you to come. Lord, I pray that you would bless my friends this morning, that you would empower them in this season to walk in your ways. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Listen, as our prayer team is, is coming up, listen, I have one more question. And the question is this. Maybe you're away from God right now. Listen, we all at times walk away, but maybe you've never came to God to begin with. The Bible says that our sin separates us from God, and Jesus Christ came to be the bridge. He lived a perfect life so we can be restored to the Father. The Bible says if we would repent of our sins and turn towards God, He would forgive us. He would give us eternal life. Just like that great challenge on Mount Carmel that day between Elijah, the calling that he had for the people of Israel, he said, choose today who you're going to follow. Listen, maybe today is your day to follow God with your whole heart. Maybe today is a day that you're going to lay your sins down and you're going to follow Jesus. And it'll be the greatest day that you've ever had. Listen, if that's you, raise your hand real quick. I want to pray with you. I want to pray with you. 
see a few people. I see a few people right there. If you just raised your hands, I want you to meet me at the cross. Listen, let's raise our hands right now. We're going to close this service out watching God uh, or worshiping God. If you need prayer, our prayer team is here. But if you just raise your hand, come meet me at the cross. Let's continue to worship, and Matt will dismiss us in just a second. God bless.